0: No. Yeah, I don't watch the show, so I don't. Yes, that is. That is. So we are uh, continuing to build up for Palm Sunday and Easter with our Bad Boys of Easter series. And today's message, we'll get into that. But I, I was thinking this week of just putting this all together, and I'm like, you know, I, I didn't show up fully prepared today. Because if we're talking about the bad boys, I should kind of be in, like, skinny jeans, you know, motorcycle boots, a tight white t-shirt with a little mini Bible rolled up in the sleeve, and maybe a leather jacket on, my hair slicked back, a little curl, you know, kind of that Christian James Dean look, right, that little rebellious person, so, um, luckily for you, I didn't do that. <laughs> um, it wouldn't have been the same picture as it was 30 years ago, so, uh, things have changed, gravity has on my body, but, uh, it seems like an odd series of messages again, but it's kind of a good thing to think about that, uh, again, God doesn't hide the bad stuff from us. Just like, uh, you know, everything that's going on in the world, God keeps both the good and the bad in his Word so that we can read from that. But the big thing is that we can learn from that. You know, other religions try and take the bad stuff out, and I, I thought that if I was trying to create a religion... I wouldn't want to put the bad stuff in because, you know, I want everybody to be happy, to feel good, to be, you know, good about things, but God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. So, uh, as we talk about our our second series in the bad boys of Easter, something to think about. Have you ever tried to bargain with God? I like this because it's silent and, you know, Ellen's smirking, Justin's smiling, Christy's looking around, Kendall's going... Yeah, it's one of those things I think back when I think of that, I think back to junior high and high school, and my bargaining with God always seemed to be revolving about like one of three things. It was either around uh, passing a test that I didn't study for, you know, um, it was about a girl, or it was maybe uh, bargaining with God to get out of that speeding ticket that I was pulled over for because I had a lead foot and kept getting pulled over a lot, Right? yes <laughs> now as adults it may look a little bit different because we still try to get God to buy in on our agenda and our thing you know uh, levering God's power and his his immenseness for our benefit um, it may be a legitimate thing like you know trying to bargain with God for the life of a loved one if, if uh, you know they're on medical care or something you know where we try out to God going God just save them this is a real issue uh, we bargain with God for our obedience, right? But at the end of the day, when we are bargaining with God, the reality is all that we're trying to do is to leverage God to do our will and not His will, right? You know, the, oh God, if, if you know, if if you only, if you'll just do this this one time, then I'll do this, this, and this. Um, or maybe you're the person that kind of got beyond that. And maybe you've got, had this point in your life that uh, maybe not right now, but in the past where, You know, you've tried to bargain with God and you just gave it up. Gave it up not so much in a good sense, but gave it up like in the fact that, you know, God would just not behave and do what I expected Him to do and meet my expectations, so I'm just done with this church and Christianity thing. They're all a bunch of hypocrites anyway. I don't want to be a part of them. You know, they're just religious idiots walking around. That when, you know we kind of ask or put those things in our minds that God, if you would have done things this way and if you would have taken care of me and not let this bad thing happen to me, well, of course, I would have believed more. I would have been more faithful, but you, you didn't. So I'm, I'm just done with this relationship. I'm done with church with all those stupid hypocrites. I don't want to be around them. I don't want to dig into your word. I just don't want to do it. So maybe you've fallen into one of those two camps in your life. You've bargained with God. Maybe you're doing it right now. God, if you just give them guidance and make them shut up, I promise I'll serve him forever. Um, or maybe you've been that person that just, in the past, you've been in a bad situation, you didn't feel like God behaved or treated you fair, and you're like, forget it. I'm done. Well, our character in today's study uh, was very much like that. You see, he tried to get Jesus specifically to do his bidding. He wanted Jesus to do his will, in a sense. Uh, And when Jesus wouldn't do that, when Jesus wouldn't meet his expectations and do what he wanted him to do, when, in his opinion, Jesus seemed to do stupid things and didn't go the direction he wanted to go, he quit. He gave up. He walked away. He said, enough is enough, and I'm done. The reason, again, we're talking about this and this whole point in this series is to do a little self-introspection in the fact that all these bad boys of Easter, the three that we're talking about, that as we read the Bible, we find their characters are richly embedded in there, that we remind them of them throughout the Gospels and other places. And the reason we're looking at them is because we have to realize, coming into Easter and Palm Sunday and and even church, that there's a little bit of these bad boys in our lives as well, in our attitudes and our actions, right? Well, today's character is a pretender and a traitor. Today's character has three sides to everything. He has uh, the right side, the wrong side, and then most importantly, his side, okay? Um, It's kind of the what's-in-it-for-me side. What am I getting out of this, right? Today's character is none other than, if you haven't guessed it already, Mr. Judas Iscariot. Remember him in the Bible? You see, for Judas, Jesus always seemed to be a means to an end. Specifically, his end. His gain. um, His wants and desires. And sometimes we get hypercritical of Judas, but we've got to realize that sometimes we tend to behave like Judas also. We have those moments in our life where we tend to act like that. And we realize, when we look at this, I mean, the pinpoint is often on Judas with the betrayal issue, but we forget that Judas was not alone in a lot of these betrayal issues. Think about the disciples. Don't we read multiple times in the Bible about how the disciples had selfish struggles? That as they're with Jesus, they're really not doing Jesus' will. They're really not following Jesus' agenda. They're kind of trying to get Jesus to do their own. Remember those two brothers trying to get seats on the throne to the right and to the left of Jesus? Remember those boys? Their mom asked about it and when the mom didn't get it, they asked about it. Remember Peter? Oh, Lord, I'm so good I'll, I'll never bail on you. Liar. And there's others. Remember they were always vying for political power and we see as we go through our story that when Jesus was out of the picture and he was dead, instead of going forward in faith, they cowered in doubt and hid out. They were confused because Jesus didn't act the way they did. Remember them looking at Jesus going, what, you want us to feed the four in 5,000? <laughs> That's your job. We're, we don't have any resources here. Come on, Lord. It seems that all the disciples had struggles with following Jesus too, even though we look at Judas. But they've had some of the same issues as Judas, and so do we. There's a story of the rich young young ruler in Matthew 19. Remember him? He comes to Jesus, and he tells Jesus that he's done all these good things. He reiterates the commandments, the greatest commandments. He's done all this stuff. He's like, Horace, what do I have to do that's left to get in the kingdom of heaven? God, I've done it all. I am so, so good. I mean, look at me, Lord. I've kept all the commandments. And Jesus says, Wow, okay. That's that's pretty cool. You're a good young man. I mean, you're upright, straight, you know. You're all right. The only thing I want you to do now is take everything that you own, get rid of it, and then come and follow me. I don't know about you, but I struggle with that story sometimes. Because we live in a nation of affluence and wealth. so we talk about the fact that even our homeless have more resources than the majority of people around the world. And you see, that was Jesus' whole issue. was Jesus exposed the rich young ruler's one idol. Wealth. Abundance. I mean, he thought he had the world at his hands, right? I think about the story in... Let me stand before Jesus and hopefully not quite that arrogant. That Lord, I, you know, I've been a pastor all this time. I sing on the worship team. You know, I've got a couple of Bibles. Uh, you know, I've done service at the church. I share in Paul. Love. you gotta let me in. I know most of the commandments, God. And God's like, oh, John, just just go out and give everything away this afternoon and uh, grab your bug out bag and follow me. Well, where are we going, Lord? Well, I don't know yet, but just follow me. Well, where are we going to live? Where are we going to stay in? Don't worry about it. We're going to be together. The relationship's important, right? Doesn't that sound wild? Crazy? Well, that's what Jesus asked. At the end of Matthew 19, we see the disciples again struggling with, along with Judas in Matthew 19, 27 where Peter asked a pivotal question of Jesus. After they've seen the situation, heard this story, to which the rich young ruler walks away because he can't give up his idol. He can't surrender. He can't submit. He really has limitations on following Jesus. He has conditions on being a Christian. Wow, isn't that like most of us sometimes? You know, or we've seen it in the past. Well, I'll go to this church if they have this or do this. I mean, I think at our church we kind of deal with this question all the time, and you know Ellen said it quite well in her prayer. She's like, Lord, I don't know what you're doing with our little church sometimes, but I'm glad we're meeting, Lord, and you know, you're in control. We have those questions because God doesn't always really give us the answers. Here's, here's what Peter said. Again, kind of vying for himself and speaking for all the boys, including Judas. Matthew nineteen twenty seven, Peter looks at Jesus and says, Well, behold, Lord, we have done what? We left everything for you, and we followed you. What will there be for us? I mean, if you're asking this rich young ruler to give up everything for you, Lord, we left everything. You hear the self pity in there? Oh God, I've I've given up everything for you. Well, Peter still had a house and a wife and uh, occupation and all that. But what's he saying? God, what about us? What, I mean, I mean, we've given up so much to follow you in this political upheaval time, and and Lord, I mean, just we're not so popular anymore, and and Lord, we've left this, we've left that, you know, we we quit this, we quit that, we followed, we obeyed, and now, Lord, what do we get in return? You hear a little bit of selfishness and greed along with self pity. Lord, what am I getting out there? Jesus, what are you doing for me? Because, you know what, look, hey, I have been... I followed you. I, I did my part. I'm here. You know, I've seen some cool things, but Lord, just got to be a little bit more. Right? I mean, really, I'm kind of sticking my neck out for you. Don't I deserve to get a little bit more? You ever said those things in your life where you just felt like God just isn't given you enough or... Allowing you to be out of that situation or making things a little bit better or fixing that person. I'm sort of said some of those things before that uh, you know, you just kinda of frustrated with God. We read about the disciples that again, after all this stuff happens and Jesus is crucified, and there's those couple of days where we see the realness of their faith, and this is what I love about the gospels, is the gospels always show the intense of the heart whether Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees scribes and Sadducees whether he's dealing with lepers whether he's dealing with the disciples Jesus always shows the intent of the heart and as we read about the disciples including Judas Jesus is gone in a sense of their mindset their political career and their political power is now gone this so called Messiah that was supposed to come in and fix everything is dead and Jesus shows us the real intent of their heart as they grapple with this thing called faith and idols the Bible tells us that instead of being out preaching the gospel and carrying on the ministry where are the disciples they're hiding out in the upper room with the door closed probably doing a lot of things right now like hey uh, Uber will you bring me food because we don't want to leave the room you know just do curbside pickups so nobody sees us. They're hiding down in the other room to the point that finally Peter jumps up and says, Hey boys, we've done everything we can do. It's over. We don't have a plan anymore. We don't have a leader anymore. There's nothing left. You know, that's why I became a fisherman. I'm going fishing. Who wants to go? I, I'm, I, I'm just done. You ever had those times in your life where you just as a Christian, with God or with a person, you just throw your hands up in the air like, I've done all I can. I've given everything. I've done so much. In fact, I've even done a little extra. I'm just done. Don't we kind of relate right now with the disciples and Judas a little bit, not so much on a positive rate? The good thing is that eventually when God continues to be God? Jesus continues to be God. That they realize that, and they come back to following Jesus. All except for one. And which one was that? Judas. Judas. So let's think about Judas for a little bit. Our our bad boy of Easter. Judas had something interesting that the others kind of sloughed off as they spent time with Jesus, and that was this. Judas had an Old Testament mindset. An Old Testament mindset. He knew there was going to be a ruler. He knew that ruler was going to be sent from God and that all things would be made right. The problem is with this, and sometimes we struggle too as we read Daniel in Revelation and we look at the signs of the time, is we can get our own perception of when this is going to happen and how it's going to happen instead of waiting on God's perception. You see, Judas followed Jesus because Jesus met most of the expectations, most of the anticipated actions of this Old Testament ruler that had been prophesied about. But the problem with Judas was, in his mindset, Jesus fell short on a few expectations, uh, and it probably made Judas intellectually and emotionally struggle even while he was with Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't hate the Romans. Well, was a Jew, that was a big one at this time, right? Rome had come in and was ruling. I mean, the anticipation of the time of these so-called messiahs would come in was that this ruler was going to come in, the great king, a great warrior. He was going to take over and, and bring the nation of Israel back and wipe out Rome. Well, Jesus didn't necessarily hate the Romans or the Greeks or anyone at that time. He talked about love and one kingdom, but he didn't really hate anybody except those that didn't do his father's will. Second was, um, Jesus constantly seemed to be in a religious battle with the religious leaders. Well, if he's supposed to be this rabbi, that doesn't quite make sense, right? If I'm a good Jew, and I follow my Pharisees, and I go into the synagogue, and I do my rituals, and I, you know, I do this stuff, and I throw my money into the temple, well, the coming ruler probably shouldn't be at odds with the existing religious rulers, right? That doesn't line up. Well, another thing was, you know, Jesus was a little passive at times. I mean, he wasn't real verbose. He didn't cry and try and stir up the crowds to come against Rome or to come against anything. He just kind of did a lot of forgiving and loving and healing. Probably as a leader, a little passive, a little weak, a little shy maybe. Um, And the big thing for Judas was that Jesus didn't save money very well hmm you see you've got to have money to pay armies you've got to have money to pay mercenaries you've got to have money to overthrow other rulers because you've got to have you know the behind the scenes buyouts you've got to have you know a little cash in hand you know you've got to do these things and it just seems that every time Jesus got a hold of some money he'd give it away for the needs of others he wouldn't save it. he wouldn't build up he wouldn't have a secret little stash hiding out here. I mean, really, if you're going to rule, if you're going to be in that political realm, you've got to have that cash for those bribes and everything, right? You've got to flick the hand a little bit. Jesus didn't save money. Hmm. So although Jesus met a lot of the expectations, he didn't meet every single one of them. And the life that Jesus lived for Judas is having an Old Testament expectation and his own... Perception of how that would play out, well, it began to cause Judas to question things. So let's think about that. Let's have a little personal application time, because that's always fun on Sundays, right? Love this part of it. Personal application. We've already talked about Judas' disciples and their doubts, and their fears, and their gain for power. We've talked about the fact that, um, you know, sometimes we have our perception of the way God should do things. Well, what about this one? Essentially, Judas gave up on Jesus initially because. Jesus didn't meet his expectations. He didn't live the way Judas expected him to do. What's personal like that? You have to give up on somebody because you didn't meet your expectations. They didn't treat you the way they wanted you wanted them to treat you. They didn't do the things you thought they should do even when you told them. And so eventually you just quit trying because you had done so much and they just didn't come up to bar. Isn't it interesting in our lives, and we are so mature, how quickly we can turn on someone and just give up on them. Why? Because they don't fit the bill. They don't meet the perception of what we think they should be doing, especially in relationship to us. Have you ever given up on somebody? I think we have. We all have. And that's where the Judas factor kind of hits home with us and stings a little bit because if you're like me, it's easy to point at Judas as one of the bad boys of Easter and say, well, he was an idiot. He was with Jesus and he blew it. But then I think about the real life of Judas and I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't judge so quickly. Why? Because it kind of comes back to me when I do that. Remember the old saying, you know, you point your finger at someone like Kenno does to us when Justin's not here? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, You know, there's several fingers pointing back. There's more fingers pointing back than there are pointing out, right? And if we get hypercritical, well, some of that comes back to us. There was also one thing that happened in uh, Jesus' ministry in relationship with Judas that uh, because Jesus didn't meet Judas' expectations, totally put Judas over the edge. I mean, it was the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. It was in a little town outside of Jerusalem called Bethany, about a mile and a half out. Um, And it was an act of generosity that happened. And this just put Judas on edge. Matthew 26, 6-7, if you guys want to read with me, that's where this incident takes place that finally seals the deal with Judas, where Judas says, okay, that is it. I can kind of put up with some of this stuff because maybe he'll change, maybe he'll fall in line, but this, does it? Matthew 26-7 to Now when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume and she poured it on Jesus' head as he reclined at the table. Just stop there. Now we don't really know who Simon the leper is other than he's mentioned here. Um, this woman comes in and by our scenes, this may seem like some kind of bad prank or something, right? You just walk into somebody's house, you got some perfume, you dump it on their head. It'd be like something you did back in college or high school for a joke. But at this time, the people in this culture would understand this, that this was an anointing for some reason. This is how people were anointed on a regular basis. Whether you were a priest being anointed for uh, godly service to be the go-between between God and man, whether you were being anointed with aloe and oils for burial this was something that people knew about whether you were being blessed for say a commitment that you were making um, to God and going there the people at this time knew what this what was going on so this woman walks in Jesus is in the leper's house dumped oil on his head and they all knew it was very very expensive oil John gives us a little insight where Matthew doesn't John tells us that this vial of perfume was worth roughly a year's wages. Now, here's the thing how this perfume would be packaged. Because it was so valuable and so concentrated, they put it in this carved-out alabaster jar, and then they would seal the top of it. So, really, the only way to get into the perfume isn't like what we think with our cute little... um, you know, zails or whatever, little things that you open up and, you know, you'd put a little perfume, clone out, put the lid back on. This perfume was so sealed up that the only way to get to it was literally to break the top off. Have that neck, just break that off, and then it would be exposed. And then you had to use it. So the picture is this woman comes in, has this perfume worth a year's wages, breaks the top off, which means you've got to use it now, and she just dumps the whole thing on Jesus' head. Well, I looked up the average um, median income per household in the United States, not per person, but per household, and it's $68,000. So imagine this. You're following Jesus. Your mind sets a little in the political realm of, hey, we're gaining speed here. We're getting some crowds. We're going to overtake the government. Uh, We've got to save up some money to, you know, kind of for the bribes and everything, to buy armies, to buy mercenaries. We've got to have some money to do this, some financial funding. This woman comes there and she's got a jar of perfume was $68,000. And she's going to make a donation, a tithe, a gift to the church, as the Bible calls it, as the early Christians were called, the way, right? She's making a gift, a donation. Great! You're seeing that come in, somebody come walking in with a $68,000 check or a a, a $68,000 car and just saying, I'm giving this to Wasatch Christian Church. Well, we may keep it Or we may what? We may sell it Even if we get $50,000 out of it We'll take a, take a hit on it It was a donation It was a gift It didn't cost us anything Yeah, we'll take a cut of about $18,000 We'll take the $50,000 And then we got $50,000 Through ministry And fixed up the church And helped the neighborhood Wouldn't that be kind of how the mindset would go? But this woman walks in And just bloop, 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 All on Jesus the well, first thing I think of in my weird, warped mind is, oh my gosh! Can you imagine the smell in that room? It had to be huge. It just permeate everything. Which, if you're like me, if you have someone or something that's really irritating you, and all of a sudden there's a constant reminder, doesn't it just really rub you raw? Huh? The loud blinking? The loud blinking? Yeah. <laughs> you know. So here she dumps this on Jesus, and they are like, "What are you doing? And then the aroma just fills the room and they're constantly reminded of what just happened. In fact, it gets in their tunics and their clothes and in their hair because it's so strong and concentrated and potent that even if they walk outside, it's like, I can still smell it. What a waste. You know what I'm talking about? You had those things where it's like, will you just quit blinking at me so loudly, Richard? Yes. fish? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So this happens. And we read this in Matthew 26, verses 8 to 9. Here's the disciples' response. But the disciples were indignant. Now, just picture what indignant looks like. can you, in your mind, don't think of yourself. Think of those other people, those other bad people, right? Because you're never indignant. (laughs) Think of those other ones that are just (laughs) indignant. What does that look like? I mean, just... (sighs) You know, the scowl, the evil eye, the 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 tensed lips. And and you can just hear the little the little sound. Ah, ah, ah. Well, uh, if even right, huh? Right? We all know what we're talking about, right? The disciples were indignant when they saw this, and they said, What? Why this waste? For well, this perfume might have been sold for a high price and given to the poor. Right? Can you hear that in, their, in their, their voice? We could have given this to the poor. Isn't it interesting that when something happens that goes doesn't go our way, that we can instantly turn it to make it sound like, oh, this would have been such a ministry thing. Well, if we only would have had this, it would have done so many people so much good. you ever said those things? when you didn't get your way. In fact, if you would have just done this, it would have all been fine. Oh, bullpucky. (laughs) The issue's still there. It would not have been fine. But we we flipped it that way, right? I don't know that from personal experience, but I could. That, you know, if you only would have done this, it would have been okay. All would have been good. If only... But since you didn't, we'll never know, and now life just bites because you did it this way, right? Practical application number two. Isn't this fun, kids? Ever get hung up on how somebody else spends the money, uses the time or resources, deals with a relationship that's different than how you would have done it? They don't spend money on the things that you think should be spent it on. They don't save the way that you think they should save. They uh, do different things. They have bit different habits. They don't have a regular bedtime. They go to bed all over the place. Or they just don't treat you in the relationship like you think you should be treated. Can you understand the dilemma the disciples were in when they saw this from a human point of view? I mean, they were indignant as they saw this, Judas included. And they asked Jesus, in essence, for a question, because they're like, why this waste? Now, who do you think they were directing that question to? Probably the woman. They probably gave her that evil eye when they said it, right? But then I'm sure there was a little flash over to Jesus like, you let this happen. You let this happen. Why the waste, Jesus? Well, here's the bad thing about ever asking Jesus a question. In essence, questioning Jesus' behavior and action. And here's, here's the, the, the challenging thing is that Jesus will typically respond. But he doesn't necessarily respond with the politically correct answer. Remember what we said at the beginning of the message, that when Jesus would speak to things, he always spoke to what? Stuff that's in here, that's in the heart. So, Jesus responds, and he responds to the disciples, not on a practical level, well, yes, I know it was worth $68,000, but, you know, I am worth it. <laughs> right? Jesus responds on a heart level. He exposes the lack of integrity of these men. In essence, the lack of faith and the selfishness in their heart. And in doing that, in his response, he also exposes the true faith, the authenticity, the genuineness of the woman's heart. Check this, Matthew 26, verses 10 to 13. Jesus gives a response. And it's about the real motive. He states this. But Jesus, aware of this, uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, ain't pulling nothing past Jesus. Even if you wrap it up with a nice bow, being like, Lord, we could have done so much ministry with this. We could have helped so many people. The words don't match the heart all the time, do they? And so Jesus is aware of this. And Jesus says to them, and I love this first sentence, Why are you bothering this woman? Like, What is with you guys? You're being bullies. Come on! You guys are just being bullies. That's all you're doing. Why are you bothering this woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Now let's catch what Jesus says in some of this. First, he says, Boys, this is none of your business. Mind your own business. Keep your thoughts and your intentions to yourself. Zip it. Shuddy. Stop. It, Stop. This isn't about you. This is something between this woman and me. It's not about you or about what you think about it. Mind your own business. Second, he says, This woman has done a beautiful thing, a good deed to me. In saying that, he reveals that her heart was genuine and true and purposeful. He alludes to the fact that, yes, there's poor. Maybe this woman was poor. We don't know. But the poor that they're saying, oh, we could have given this money to the poor. Jesus would like, you're going know to have the poor with you all the time. Because some people are just flat out lazy and they won't work. You're going to have people that choose to be homeless. You're going to have all these issues. You're going to have people that go through bad circumstances physically or mentally. You're always going to have poor people. That's why the church exists. But you won't always have me. Now, this had to slap those disciples in the face, didn't it? Because what's Jesus saying? Boys, I'm not always going to be with you. Whoa, wait a minute. You're going to be the leader. You are the leader. We're not always going to be together. And then Jesus goes on to say, you know, this woman did, and she's prepared me for what? Burial. Well, as they're looking at Jesus right here, again, this is in the height of the ministry. He's been ministering for three years. Crowds are coming to see Him. All this is going on. Things can be going in the right direction. And Jesus is only 33 years old, and He's saying, She's preparing me for burial. You prepared the body for burial after it was dead, but if you were, if you knew you were going to die, and you could have prepared your body beforehand, you wouldn't do it years ahead of time, would you? You would do it right beforehand. So Jesus kind of shocks these guys. In essence, what happens is, as we read through that, the disciples kind of have a question after that. As Jesus tells them all this stuff, exposes the authenticity of the woman's faith, the selfishness of their faith, tells them it's not their business, tells them he's going to die. If you read through the chapter, their question is this. Well, hey, well, what about us? If you go away, what's going to happen to us, God? Remember Jesus? We left everything. We gave everything up. And we've served you for three years. We've been with you. You know, What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to me if you're gone? It's a selfish thing. In fact, in this moment, they all forget about the perfume. And now they're concerned about their own skin. It's interesting in the times that we live in, we see this played out right before our eyes, don't we? Two weeks ago, if you would have gone to the grocery store, people are loading their carts with stuff they'll never eat. We were joking about it in this way on the way down here. It's like, hey, great, yeah, we've gone through all the fresh produce and the good stuff. Now we've got four cases of Spam we've got to eat. Really? Vienna sausages and Spam? Am I really going to sit down and eat four cases of Spam? Well, I might but most people wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> but they're just throwing stuff in their cart because they've got to look out for who? for them in this quote religious state that is <laughs> so godly they're not seeking to look out for others they're not seeking to minister to others to give to others they're running through the store filling their shopping carts looking out only for who? Themselves. And in fact, what they're doing in the big picture is that they're filling their carts with their stuff, they're grabbing... I remember seeing one guy walking out with five cases of water and four cases of toilet paper when this first began, just wiping the shelves out. Who are the people that are really being shafted in this? It's the elderly people who aren't supposed to be going out anyway, but even if they show up to get curbside pickup... There's no toilet paper. There's no food. There's no water. You see, we act like the disciples do a lot. We act like Judas sometimes, don't we? God will look out for me. We forget the fact that we're supposed to be Christians and meeting the needs of others. The Bible calls us to prepare when times are good so we have enough for ourselves and enough to what? Share with others. That's the ministry of the church. That's the ministry that Jesus did. That's why Judas was so upset with Jesus, he kept giving the money away. He kept helping people. You can't win a government if you just give the money away, which we're doing right now anyway. We'll see where that goes. But we find ourselves that when hard times hit, the trueness of our heart, the integrity of our faith is actually exposed, isn't it? Kind of like what Jesus did with his disciples. Because if we're the ones just hoarding everything and not helping others, hmm, what does that really say about what we really believe? Well, it says a lot, doesn't it? And it causes me to recheck my thinking. It causes me to really consider what I should be doing and how I should be acting how about you I mean I can relate with the disciples right now really easy I bought a bunch of food from Cisco and now because of this I'm in the process of just giving it away because she's going you spent how much (laughs) we had that conversation and that's when the fight began Um, but she's on board with me Um, I think I think. (laughs) And Justin is sacrificing by actually having to spend all Saturday cooking with us in the kitchen when he hates cooking, so we're getting there. But Jesus goes on and continues in Matthew 26, verse 13. He says something else about this woman. And this is where it really puts Judas over the edge as we finally get to Judas. He says this in verse 13. After he kind of reprimands and exposes the hearts of the disciples, he says, Truly I say to you, now here's where you know. Remember the disciples kind of gave Jesus and this woman the evil glare of why is this waiting? Jesus, you let this happen. I think Jesus kind of turns that glare back around, like, truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world. Wait a minute, we're in Bethany, we're in a little potent village a mile and a half outside of Jerusalem. When are you talking about the whole world? Whenever this gospel is preached in the whole world. What this woman has done will be spoken in memory of her. Oh, damn. Drop the mic! Shut the front door! <laughs> and seriously, these disciples are just getting pounded. Think about these guys in this moment. This is such an interesting passage when you dig into it. They're looking out for themselves. They're exposed. And then Jesus goes on to say, Oh, by the way, boys, kind of because of the lack of your integrity, I'm going to put this woman as a trophy for the whole world to see how true her heart was. And what are they saying? Uh, but we're the disciples. We're the one that's been with you for three years. She's only been you for five minutes. And Jesus is like, right. But her heart is pure. What do you think the disciples are thinking right now? But, 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 And she's just like, I'm going to share this story, not only here in Bethany, with the people in this village, not only in Jerusalem, I'm going to share her story and how faithful and how genuine and authentic she is with the whole world. Now this had to blow their minds too, because again, Old Testament theology with the prophecies, they're thinking about Israel, right? The nation of Israel overcoming the Romans. They're thinking about their own little cultural gain. And Jesus says, oh, I'm going away beyond that. I'm going to share it with the Romans, the Greeks. We're going to share it with the Jews. I'm going to share her story with even the people you don't even know about. You know, Egypt, those people down there, we're going to share her story with them. I'm going to tell the whole world about the genuineness of this woman's faith. And the package, this is the complete package deal, the package that went with Jesus telling the whole world about this woman's face is what? What else is told in this story? Their failure. Their failure. Now, I don't know if you've ever had those conversations, you know, kennel with yourself in the mirror, us with our spouses or children at home, about, I'm going to tell everybody how much you blew it. I'm going to tell them how good I am. And I'm going to tell them how faithful I was. But I'm going to tell them also how you have screwed up so bad. Oh, we love those conversations, don't we? Those things. Put yourself in the mindset of these disciples. Can you just see the need for some blood pressure medicine right now for these guys? Can't you just see their hearts just fading? Can't you see the self-perception being just challenged? It's like, Lord, but we did this and we did this and we did this. Kind of sounds like a story later on in Matthew 26 about the separation of the sheep and the goats. But God, we did this and we did this and we did this. And Jesus says, I don't know you. You're not the real deal. You're not genuine. You're not authentic. But this woman is. But Lord, she just blew sixty-eight thousand dollars. Her heart is pure. Her heart is pure, and I'm going to tell the world this story. Well, this puts Judas over the edge. Third application. Aren't these applications fun? Third application. Have you ever been a place in your life where you were so frustrated with the other person that you can't see beyond yourself? I mean, you can't even see the real picture for what it is. You can't even take in their input and their perception because you are so just, over the top with unbelief about what they're saying and how they're acting and what they're doing or not doing and you're just so bent out of shape with this that you are single-minded but you cannot see beyond your own self-perception. Anybody in the room besides me know what I'm talking about? Thank you, Ellen. Appreciate that. I'll give you a dollar later. (laughs) Man, that's a tough realization, isn't it? There's times I look back and I'm like, the woulda coulda shoulda times oh I wish I wouldn't have done this I should have said this but I did say this I can't take it back why didn't I see this and I realized I was just so angry that it was all about me and my way now I couldn't even see beyond that that's so self-convicting but we've been there haven't we so we can relate with these disciples Again, the, the apostle John gives us a little bit more insight on what's going on in this story of Matthew, because he tells us something, a couple things about Matthew. One, he tells us that Matthew was, or excuse me, Judas was actually the one that instigated this argument. Judas was the one that first bought out and said, "We could have fed the poor. We could have helped the needy." And the other disciples, because of their own selfishness, bought into it immediately. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. He also tells us that Judas was a thief. In fact, he outright calls Judas a thief. He says, because Judas used to take regularly from the disciples' fund. So, as Judas is judging this woman for wasting perfume, as Judas is judging Jesus for not acting the way he thought he should have about stopping her, the real reality for Judas is Judas is looking at this going we could have put in $68,000 and I could have skimmed five. I could have bought that new boat. But now, nothing. So here's what happens. Matthew 26. Here's how Judas responds. Here's what we see. This is the final straw that broke the camel's back where Judas is like, I am done. I have had it up to here and I am done. Matthew 26, verses fourteen to 16. Then one of the twelve, the inner core group, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me to betray Jesus to you? And they weighed out thirty pieces of silver to him. For From then on, he began looking for a good opportunity. Well, that sounds good, right? to what betray Jesus that's not so good fourth application ooh I hate this one you ever so frustrated with someone because they don't meet your perceptions that you're done you've had it up to here you've given up but then you start looking for an opportunity to what get out of a relationship and say it's not my fault you ever done that I'm out I'm going to look for an opportunity to get out because I don't need this in my life I don't have to put up with this we think about this Judas was with Jesus for three years roughly he was in the boat with Jesus when Jesus calmed the waves he saw the power in just a very spoken word of Jesus he was with Jesus when the four and the five thousand were fed where a few simple loaves of cheap bread and a couple of sardines were turned to feed thousands. And there was food left over. He was with Jesus when He called the man that had been dead for three days in the desert grave out to become alive, only to die again. He was with Jesus when He healed the lepers and the lame and the sick. He forgave the prostitute and the woman that was being publicly scorned. He saw this. He knew all this. But Jesus didn't meet Judas' expectations of what Judas thought he should act like. So Judas' reaction was, not just to bail on the relationship, but to betray him, to sell him out into slavery, and initially to sell him out to death. Yeah, I don't like this one either. If would be so mad at somebody, you just wish they would die, or someone would hit them with a mat truck, and then back up in reverse, and run over again, and back up again, and then go forward, and back up again, and then go forward. You just wanted bad things to happen to them. That's where Judas is. Anybody relate with Judas at this point? You know, so he, just a little bit. Judas even goes on one step further where when he finally betrays Jesus, you know how he does it? He does it with something very personal, very intimate, with a greeting. He betrays Jesus with a kiss. Now, different than our society, because I could never get away with this with Christie, you can't just go up and kiss people to greet them. Right, but they would go up and they would give each other like a kiss on the cheek as a greeting. It was a like, like a handshake. It was like a hug, and this is how Judas betrays them with a kiss. An appearance, an outward appearance of sincerity and commitment and love. Judas was all about the outward appearance, wasn't he? We could have fed the poor. Well, here, let me betray you. I'm going to betray you by showing how loving and sincere I am with a kiss. In my mindset, this is what Judas is saying. Don't meet my needs and expectations? Fine. I'll dump you that fast. And I'll replace you with somebody else. I'll replace you as fast as most people change their clothes. Except now, because people aren't changing their clothes during this time. You mean nothing to me unless... You meet my needs based on my expectations. My viewpoint. You take care of me. So if you don't, forget you. I'll do what I want because I deserve it. Don't you get it? Life is about me, Jesus. And if you can't meet my expectations, forget the promises, forget the relationship, forget the time I spent with you. I deserve to get what I want. Goodbye to you because this relationship is unfair to me. As of last Thursday's value, 30 pieces of silver on the stock market would have been worth $371. That was the value of the price that Judas deemed his relationship was worth with Jesus. $371. That's it. Enough to buy a potter's field. What kind of field can you buy for $371? Pretty desolate one, you know. Go out past where we're on the salt flash and might be able to get a little patch ground there. Judas's statement of his life and his relationship with Jesus was that Jesus, your relationship with me, if you're not meeting my needs and you're not doing things the way I want you to and meeting my expectations, our relationship is worth three hundred and seventy one dollars. Isn't that astounding? Practical application number six. One, how much is your relationship worth with Jesus? What's the value on that? What's the value of your relationship with Jesus? Practical application number seven. What's the value of your relationship? Let's just stick here with the other people in this room. What would it cost for you to betray them? Judas is only 371 bucks. That's pretty cheap in my mind. What do you think? That's nothing. To sit there to be with a man for three years and see this and think he could have had a relationship with Jesus, he could have had a place in heaven, he could have had everything that he really wanted if he would just would have got out of his own mind, his own expectations, his own perception, and followed the Lord like Jesus said. He said again and again and again, come and follow me. Those that love me obey my father's command. It's not about me, it's about my dad. Come and follow me. Surrender, submit, give up. And those are sometimes the hardest words that we hear, aren't they? What? Be nice to another person. Do you know how they treat me? You know what they say, you know what they do, and you want me to be nice to them? Who the heck are you? What are you thinking? Well, that's where Judas's mind went. After this, while all this stuff is going on, we see Jesus in the upper room, and he initiates the first communion, the first Lord's Supper. And he's in there, and this is before Jesus is actually be betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he initiates this meal, he takes the Passover meal, the marriage meal, and he turns it into something profound in this new religion called the way this new way of life that Jesus is initiating forward and in that Jesus mentions in that upper room hey one of you is going to betray me well the thing we realize now in what Jesus states is how many of them of the disciples do you think suddenly felt a sharp sting in their heart and their gut drop thinking what oh crud Is it me? Because we see they all have betrayed Jesus in some sense, right? They'd all been selfish. They'd all had their own self-gain. And Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And it's like, oh, no. More public shame. First he's going to tell the whole world about the lack of my faith. Now he's going to publicly shame me with everyone in the room. And so it's like, hey, John, you get along with Jesus pretty good. Ask him who it is. And Jesus shares and the devil enters Judas and Judas heads out to go do this little deed. But it's interesting what Jesus says after Judas walks out. If you want to turn with me to John chapter 13 verse 31. You see, God is always sovereign, whether it's the COVID-19 or World War I or World War II or Vietnam War or 9-11. God is always sovereign. Always sovereign. And Jesus makes this statement, once Judas goes out of the room, in that first Lord's Supper, he says this, John thirteen, thirty one. Therefore when he Judas had gone out, Jesus said Now the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. You know what Jesus is saying in those words? God can't be thwarted. God is not surprised. This all fits into my Father's will. Judas thinks he's going to go out and take me down, just like our bad boy of Easter last week. Just like Lucifer did. If I can kill the Son of God, whew, I win. Judas is like, if I betray him and do it in public and sell him out, 371 bucks, I gain a little cash. If I can sell him out in public and publicly defame him... I win. Judas thought he had a great plan, didn't he? He really did. Funny thing is, life lesson number eight, when we're in those self-focused, self-perception times, we think we have what? A good plan. If only everyone else would just get on board. Judas, in his self game thought that he had won and showed up to the point of losing Jesus. But Jesus didn't lose. Jesus won. God is not thwarted. God is not surprised. The $371 value of the relationship with Judas because of his own selfishness soon became worthless in even his mind. Because we read later of Judas what did he realize? He realizes the blood of God that is now on his hands. The broken relationship. He realizes all that he could have had, but he didn't because why? It was all about him. He never surrendered. He never gave up. He never truly followed. And Jesus takes, the, or Judas takes that three hundred seventy-one dollars and does what? Throws it back in and says, "Take it back." But the heartbreaking thing here with Judas is this, and here's part of our lesson so that we do not continue to be Judases, that Judas could never, ever regain what he gave up. When he broke the relationship, he sold Jesus out, it was never the same. He gave it all up. He gave it all up. What was great gain for Judas in, in one moment? was now worse than complete loss. In fact, it was worse than life itself. So Judas takes his own life. What was the time of pride for Judas would now be his most humiliating regret. What was worth sacrificing the relationship would now never be forgotten. Judas's greatest regret was that of trying to bend to force the hand of God Judas gained 30 pieces of silver for a short time until he throws it back and in the end he lost his soul question why do we undermine our own faith and relationship when all it really does is hurt ourselves and hurt those around us and it breaks the heart of Jesus why do we do that? of the bad boy of Easter series is to realize once again that we've got to have responsibility for our own actions we can't get in the way of God and we've got to quit trying to leverage and force the hand of God to do our will you see God honors your freedom it's still in his will but God honors your freedom but sometimes in our freedom we don't make good choices do we bartering with God bartering with others Sometimes we can make it work with other people, but in it it's always failure. Chris and I are realizing this real close to home within the last 12 hours because what we've been doing for most of the night while we're homebound is we've pulled out Skippo and Uno and now we've moved on to Monopoly. Well, we've been bartering with Justin and now our own future is sadly in our hands because of our choices. And in fact, Christy looked at me last night and said, why did you do that? Do you realize you just sealed our end? It's over? We have to finish the game today, but it's not looking very happy for Christy and I because of the bartering that we've made with our youngest son and his full enjoyment of having stacks of 500 Monopoly money piling up and up and up. He loves the fact that he has all the hotels that we keep paying rent every time we go around. And we gave those properties to him. When we barter, when we try and leverage the hand of God, we always lose. We always lose. So here's our thought for the day as we leave. And here's where we kind of try and turn this whole message around from a negative to a positive as we look forward. Here's where we as Christians, instead of being Judas's, being bent on getting things our way, we have to be forgiving, we have to be loving, we have to surrender and submit. Here's where we turn the corner, and when Jesus says, go and do this, and come and follow me, we're like the veggie tails. Aye, captain. And we're there. We don't wait, we don't think about it, we don't pray about it, we don't form a committee to go, we just do it, and we follow Jesus, because that's the most important thing. Matthew 6, 9-10 tells us this pray then in this way our Father who is in heaven hallowed honored glory to be your name your kingdom come and here's the key words what are they your will be done you see kids that's how we end up not being like a Judas we end up not being like a bad boy of Easter whose story is proclaimed throughout the ages of the whole world Father in Heaven, Your will be done. It's not about me. You don't need my opinion. You don't even need my input even though I want to give it really bad. God, just tell me what to do. Show me in Your Word. Show me to others in my heart. Show me in church what Your will is. And I'm telling you, I'm going to follow down. I'm not going to be like a rich young ruler. I'm not going to be like Judas. I'm going to beg your forgiveness and your salvation, and I'm going to follow. And I'm going to follow. Remember last week we had an interesting statement that to follow Jesus will always cost you. But here's the kicker. To not follow Jesus will always cost you more. It will always cost you more. Let's set our hearts to the positive and this day as we walk out of here, as we fellowship together, as we have fun. Let these be our words. Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not only in our world as it is in heaven, but in our lives as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, Lord. We uh, thank you for the blessings of coming together. Lord, we thank you for the bluntness, the directness, the, the, the poignancy, the true likeness of your word when we dig into it. And sometimes, Lord, it just exposes things that uh, we just don't like. But that's a good chance to surrender and ask your forgiveness and give those things up to you and lay them at the foot of the cross and have those burdens be lifted off our, our backs and our hearts and our minds. So, Lord, as we come to you this day, as we realize the life of Judas, but more so the intent of his heart. God, we pray your forgiveness and we pray that we would surrender and submit and we would do your will. We pray, Lord, and we know that you're big enough to take our our burdens and our failures and our past, our mistakes, and you're big enough to take those burdens on and just take that load off of us. And now that our load is light, and Lord, help us to stand firm in You, to go where You go, to stay where You stay, to to go where You direct us. Lord, we don't want to be a Judas. And we know in our past we have been. But we pray, Lord, that now as You have made us a new creation, we would behave in different ways, all for Your glory, all for Your praise, all for Your honor. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen.